And joining us now, our good friend from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota, is our good friend Al Bat. Hey, Al, how are things over there? You get much snow? Yeah, I think we must have got five inches okay. around there. So, I boy, I see Albert Lee got like an inch and a half, and oh. I think Allendale got around six, maybe just under six. So we were more, well, we're closer to Allendale. So we got a little bit more, but that's uh, the way it goes, I guess. It, my dad's favorite singer, uh, I hope, uh, before I forget, I hope all is well with everyone, and everyone had a great Christmas and staying healthy. My dad's favorite singer, Hank Williams. Uh, nobody else came close, but right up there, you know, in the next uh, the next of the top ten would have certainly been Ernest Tubb. He loved mm. Ernest Tubb, too. So My dad, too. I, like you, grew up listening to them in the barn while milking cows. <laughs> That's right. Singing along. Yeah. I think the cows did okay. They liked that country music. At least uh, ours were all right. Dad swore up and down, and you know, no father's ever told a lie, uh, that the cows gave more milk when they listened to <laughs> Hank Williams. Probably. So <laughs> it probably made their lives sound a little better because Hank had a, had a lot of trouble in his songs. So, You know, I... Uh, We've heard many times that there's three kinds of lies. There's lies, damn lies, and statistics. <clears throat> but there's something about statistics that just it draws me, and you might have covered this too, and if you have, Karen, I apologize, but there's an uh, outfit that did a study, or there's two of them called Top, T-O-P, Data, and Zen Reach. Mm. And they were doing overall nationwide restaurants spending. And they said it's down only 1% from where it was in January 2020. Hmm. Uh, is that hard to believe? I, You know, it, it says in many states have actually increased. So Washington is up 26%, Utah 24 South Dakota 20 Alaska 19 and Alabama and Nebraska are up 18%. Idaho is down 47%, Massachusetts 41 and Rhode Island 34. Here in Minnesota, we're up 6% in restaurant spending uh, since January 2020 and Iowa is up 3%. And I don't I know there's certainly been a shift because my wife and I will go get groceries and then we say, well, you know, we'll go sit at a park or something, we'll grab something to eat. So you usually get a take out a lot of folks do curbside and things so uh, we've waited quite a while in the drive-thrus and that uh, those have certainly got longer so some of that has shifted but i was just amazed it mm -hmm. has nothing to do with anything other than i just read that and went really mm. yeah exactly <laughs> I, I hope it's true that yeah. it's only down one percent right I put peanuts in the shell for the Jays just now, and they're flying in and getting them. And I imagine them saying, found a peanut, found a peanut, found a <laughs> peanut just now. Just now I found a peanut, found a peanut just now. We used to sing that when I was a little boy. I have no idea why. My dad did, but, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What was, why did we do that for? I, I don't I know. Was it when we found something that we, or we found something that belonged to somebody else? Or I don't know why we did that. But a happy blue jay is a blue jay weighing a peanut, just as a bowler does when searching for the perfect heft to a bowling ball filled with strikes. I uh, I bowl every oh, 30 years or so, and I bowled in Onalaska in February, I believe, before all this hit. 
and it took me longer to find a bowling ball than it did anything else i think i just trying to is this the right ball and i wanted an attractive bowling ball too i just didn't want any kind of bowling <laughs> ball and then apparently it should have a minimum number of holes in it too they told me so uh rita granson we, we talk about snowy owls every so often she lives down in mason city and she said there's two snowy owls down there uh, Rick Mammel, we were talking about snowy owls, and then he added this. He said, my wife got me some lefsa. Despite my advanced years, I continue to lack the courage to accept lutefisk and always will. Uh, we did the Albert Lee Christmas bird count here. We had 32 species on count day, and then there were four additional species during count week. Was it a, the perfect day? No, it was kind of foggy, and it was cool, and some of the odd things, uh, well, things we expected. Canada goose, that was the number one, house sparrow number two, and mallard number three. I guess nothing was out of the ordinary there, but I found a, a ring-necked pheasant. I walked eight miles, and I found one. That was the only ring. That was the only pheasant we had on the bird count. One pheasant. Hmm. It's just uh, amazing. And it was uh, not much was up on the roads anywhere. Uh, did we have anything out of the ordinary? Oh, uh, we had a uh, a couple of white-throated sparrows were around, a brown creeper, a red-breasted nuthatch. There was quite a few uh, pine siskins and purple finches still hanging around. We had a great horned owl and a barred owl, a, a cooper's hawk. There were two white pelicans seen. Uh, during the count week so it was fun uh, again wild turkeys won 38 to 1 over pheasants this year so that's always a big challenge between those two trying to see which one of those birds can come up with the most uh, Artie Hobbybrunken of Albert Lee said she had four cardinals in one shrub and it just made her Christmas season she was just so happy to see that it was like a Christmas card and the bald eagles that she can watch from her apartment window or raise three young ones in a nest this summer. Uh, Lou Jean Ingham of Hayward said she couldn't do any Christmas bird counts this year because she has contracted COVID Aww. and has uh, shut down for a while. So I hope she's, she says it's a slow process. She said, everybody behave. Uh, Gunnar Berg of Albert Lee said, I have a friend Keith Camburn, who is a Uber birder, has about 850 North American life birds working his way to be number one. He's young, has time and resources. I have no doubt he will eventually be the top dog. Uh, spotted rail showed up at Choke Canyon, that's mm. in Texas, and it was killing him, traveling with COVID. But he said yesterday out of the blue, Gunner got an e email from him. I'm staying at the Alamo Inn. Got this spotted rail today, beautiful bird. We also ran up to Houston for a red-vented bulbul. And uh, Gunner says, uh, you know, good for him, but a terrible chance to take a look at a bird. But he sent me a photo of the bird. It is a lovely bird. And I, I saw it without going to Choke Canyon, Texas. I saw it right here in my office. Uh, good friend TJ, Tom Jessen of Medelia, said, I heard a funny but familiar sound on the way back from the river and looked up to see six robins twittering away and eating berries in a tree here in Medelia. No red breasts here today, but they were all bright orange instead. 
And I have been meaning to report this in a very odd sighting and wanted to get it to you before the end of the year. On December 10th, on the last 50-degree day, a little brown snake was found alive and above ground on a rock ledge in the Minnesota River Valley near the Kasota Prairie. The snake was barely moving when it was found, and it thought that it came out to sun itself in the afternoon heat, but as it tried to crawl back up into its hibernation den, it got caught in loose sand and was quickly overcome by the rapidly dropping temperatures. It is only the fourth snake officially documented above ground in Minnesota in December, and three of those have been found in the last 10 years. Hmm. Uh, Tim Scott sent me a wonderful article from the Star Trib. It said, on October 26th, a local boy placed a small adhesive tag on a monarch butterfly, a tracker of sorts, during a program at the J.C. Hormel Nature Center in Austin and sent it on its way. 87 days and more than 2,000 miles later, the tag was recovered in the butterfly's wintering grounds in central Mexico. The monarch had landed. It's estimated, and again, I'm surprised here, it's estimated only 30 to 70 percent survived the long migration south. Again, I'm surprised that's that high, but that's wonderful. Uh, Monarch Watch provides incentives paying five dollars for every recovered tag, money that stretches far in that region. Monarch Watch has reported 323 tags have been recovered so far in 2020. I have been at the Hormel Nature Center when we did those tagging. Oh, gosh, I don't know how many years ago I did that. Long, long time ago. Um, None of those monarchs would be found. Bob Idso of St. Peter said, what do people do when they uh, aren't around, when they desert their feeders? Uh, you have all those birds coming in, and then you're you're going to be gone. And what what should they be doing about the bird feeders? Could you you know just fill them up and leave? You could hire somebody to come over. I know I have a friend up in Brainerd. That's he fills up bird feeders and keeps nursing homes and everything in feeders and feed. And he also does a vacation route. So in the wintertime, he can be real busy sometimes because he goes around and fills all the feeders for the winter uh, winter Texans, probably, uh, Floridians, whatever they are, Minnesota snowbirds. And Bob was saying, what do people do? Uh, you know, about all you can do is if you got somebody in the family that owes you a favor or that uh, you're providing uh, a living for get them to do it say do that but if you don't if you have a great neighbor that's willing to do it or uh, a kid that you trust that you know throw him a few bucks here or some coupons for a fast food restaurant or something or you can just uh, let them go empty and Bob had asked uh, and if if that if you just give up feeding them will the birds come back um, yeah, they will. I will say it might take a while because they'll say well, we're not going over to the Johnson's place there because they don't <laughs> have anything out. Sooner or later, somebody's going to notice it. Uh, you put out a couple peanuts and a blue jay will fly down, and pretty soon you got the whole crew back again. It's, uh, it is hard. Birds are not truly dependent on us. 
Uh, they can find other places to eat, but they, it does make a difference. They've done studies on chickadees, and they found out in winter, especially in terrible weather, that our feeding them does help their survival rate, and in some studies, substantially. But what are you going to do? You know, if you got to go, you got to go. And uh, I hope things can work out for anybody that's considering doing that. Uh, Brian Smith saw Harris's Sparrow in Redwood County, and Brad Abendroth in Rice County saw a snow goose and a cackling goose. And there is a snowy owl at the uh, MSP. They report up in the Twin Cities, and uh, pretty much every year there's some there. Uh, we don't always hear about them. The, uh, of course, you know, the airport people aren't real crazy about everybody coming to look at birds, probably. So where do they go big... at the airport? Where do they stay? I, You know, I don't know where they oh. stay, but they're out in those flat tundra-like areas. So there's a lot of that at an oh. airport, so they can move around. And people can see them by coming up and looking over the fence where they're not going to be bothering anybody you still might get a visit by uh well one of those security little security cars and say i know we did once we're up there looking he said what the heck are you guys doing you know and we said we're looking at snowy else oh all right and then he left that was all <laughs> he just wanted to know he's doing his job so they uh they're there every year i know they do live trap some of them and haul them other places because again with the airplanes and everything they just assumed there weren't big birds up there that might cause some problems uh somebody asked what is the range of a rabbit how big an area does a rabbit cover well our most common one here is the eastern cottontail and it covers about the size of four football fields can put that in your mind. It's about five acres. Uh, a listener said, I smelled a skunk the other day. What is up with that? Well, once skunks get settled into their winter home, they become dormant, but they don't enter a full state of hibernation. They go into torpor, and it's a deep sleep from which they awaken occasionally, and they may emerge briefly from their dens at any time. And I, I saw one lying dead on the road, and I'm sure he was out on that day when it was 40-some degrees here and got greased by, by a car. I've uh, been told, somebody said, what does it mean when you hear a cardinal or see a cardinal? Uh, I've been told, folks, and of course, you know, there's not a whole lot of science behind this, but when we hear a cardinal sing, our sadness will soon be lifted. And when we see a red bird in winter, we will prosper in spring. I hope that is true. I've also heard, though, if a bird poops on you or anything you own, it foreshadows good luck. So that's, uh, yeah. you know, I, I hope you have the good luck that comes with seeing a red bird rather than being pooped on by a bird. I, one thing about snowy owls before I forget, I wanted to mention that scientists once believed that snowy owls came here because they were starving in the Arctic. And that's what I heard for years. Oh, the poor things are coming down here. They're, they're just so hungry because they've exhausted their supply of lemmings. That's their primary prey item up there. But now, you know, we've been able to study a lot more and have more years. They're finding that many of the travelers are relatively healthy and well-fed. 
So their visits may indicate that it was a boom year for the birds and their population was so high in the Arctic, they couldn't all stay there. There just wasn't enough room. So the owls move for food availability and population density. Uh, Kim asks, why do spiders have eight legs and insects only six? And the answer I've always given through the years is because if spiders had only six legs, they'd be insects. <laughs> and, and that's about as good an answer as there is. There probably isn't any definitive reason spiders have eight legs and insects. Maybe it's when better to them. weave with, because think of all the, the intricate weaving they do. They need that extra, you know, if you were sewing or knitting, you could probably do more fancy things. So that's what I think. Yeah, and that's uh, certainly possible. I, I don't know. I do know that scorpions, harvestmen, ticks, all arachnids, they have four pairs of legs. So there's a, a lot of things out there with four pairs of legs. Uh, a nice listener said, I received a Christmas card with an English robin on it. Is it related to our robins? I'll be listening on KMSU for your answer. Well, thanks for that. Um, there's a European legend says that on the night Jesus was born, a robin heard Mary's plea that the fire was going out. Could somebody help? And the robin flew down and he fanned the embers with its wings until they glowed red. And then he went around and picked up twigs with his bill and tossed them into the fires. And the flames roared and they singed the robin's white breast, turning it red. Uh, European settlers to this, to North America, to Minnesota, gave the name robin to the red-breasted songbird they saw here, which was primarily the American robin, but bluebirds were sometimes called robins by the British. Towies were ground robins, and Baltimore orioles were golden robins. The two robins, the European robin and the American robin, are not closely related. The uh, larger one, our American robin, is a member of the thrush family that includes wood thrush and eastern bluebird. The European robin, the robin redbreast, is a flycatcher thrush, and it's in the same family with nightingales and chats. And where did they get the name robin? <clears throat> A robin is an old French diminutive of Robert. And how they decided to make that bird a robin, I don't know. Somebody probably looked like somebody that somebody knew and that somebody was named Robin, so they started calling that bird robin, I'm guessing. But we don't know that. Oh, somebody asked uh, when, how many... How many crane species are there, and when's a good time to go to Nebraska? There are 15 crane species in the world. The U.S. has the, the most abundant, which is the sandhill crane. It has the most endangered, the whooping crane. And the International Crane Foundation in Baraboo, Wisconsin, is the only place on Earth where you can see all 15 of the world's crane species. And the mission there, the International Crane Foundation, works worldwide to conserve cranes and their ecosystems, watersheds, and flyways on which they depend. The foundation is closed, but it, it plans, I guess we have to say plans to pretty much everything. 
It plans to open on May 1st, and I couldn't, uh, it's a wonderful visit. I couldn't advise you more to visit there, and I hope May 1st we're able to roam uh, much more freely. When they get to Nebraska's Platte River, I tell myself each year that the Sandhill Cranes arrive by Valentine's Day, reach peak numbers on St. Patrick's Day, and are gone by tax day, but that varies from year to year. There's Audubon's Rose Sanctuary. It's near Minden and Gibbon. That'd be near Kearney. They offer blinds from March 6th until April 11th. The Crane Trust, which is near Wood River, which is closer to Grand Island, has blinds available from March 1st to April 1st. And again, these are subject to change. Neither one of those are far from I-80, and you're able to see some of the 600,000 to 700,000 cranes there. Uh, the fall mag- migration, there's not huge numbers of cranes, so the March is the time to go. And uh, that's something else that I, I have to say, man, I can't, I can't recommend that enough. It's an incredible feeling to be in one of those blinds and seeing all those birds and hearing those bugles of those cranes. It's an incredible place to be, and it's one that, uh, boy, just hangs around in my memory. I think about that often, being there. And, and of course, these things, you you think of all the, the people you've been with through the years, too, and they've just been... It's been so much fun being there. It's one of those. I th- it's the greatest wildlife spectacle I've ever seen. Can you do, yeah, still do it than, with COVID? I mean, is it still people can go out and do it on their own, or how does that work? We'll find out by March. I oh, guess. okay. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not sure, sure they will not, if there's any restrictions, those blinds will not be open. Cause, oh. uh, unless... I suppose they're fairly big. You could put just a few people in there, and, but I, I'm sure they won't do that. Because I've been in those blinds where I think they might have overbooked. I know they did, but it just seemed like they overbooked. And when I go out in the morning, you go out and it's dark. So you just kind of walk into the blind. And when I first started going there, they had like concrete bunkers, some of them for blinds. So they were uh, mm. quite different than they are now. They're very nice. Now, but you just walk in the dark until you walk into the person in front of you, and then you stop <laughs> and stand there. And then they'd open the little, the little windows that you could look out, and you could hear the voices of the cranes, but you really couldn't see anything. Uh, boy, I've seen a lot of coyotes while I'm doing that. It's just, a, it's an amazing thing, and. Um, one of my wishes today, oh, I have just such a long list of wishes, you know, but one of my wishes is that all these things will be available to people come March and be able to go to it and enjoy yeah. it because it's an experience that needs to be needs to be experienced by folks. It, it's a life-changing thing. Yeah, I wanted and, to tell you about a weird thing that, that has happened at our house with um, sparrows. And I was wondering if you could help shed some light on it. We've got this obelisk, and it's got a built-in wren house, so the the holes are small enough for wrens, and it's metal. And so my son said, Mom, come here, look at this. And so it looked like the sparrow was trying to get inside this little metal um, 
which was a wren's nest. It still got the sticks and things from the wrens, so it's, you know, the old wren's nest in there. And I don't know if it was trying to put seeds in there, take seeds out, or what it was trying to do, but it looked like they kept trying to squeeze in this hole but were too big to squeeze in. What do you think they were, were doing? Because they did it for the longest time. Yeah, and sparrows, I remember one year, and I, I looked it up, and it was like December 17th, I think, uh, one year, and it, it, we had a couple of warm days. And they were carrying nesting materials and putting them in a hole. Now, there's no way they were going to nest or anything, but I I don't know what they were doing. Practicing, uh, they just, uh, I guess they have to be doing something. In this case, they might have just been uh, curious, or they might have said, well, there's, I bet there's something in there. Let's try to get in there and see what it is. So uh, sparrows, house sparrows, I know a lot of people don't like them, but they are, they like to get into cavities, and they're just interesting. The one I saw building a a nest was in our hayloft, our haymow, we called it. And they were up there building this nest, chirping away December 17th. You know, they're not going to, again, I don't know what they were doing, if it's a pair bonding thing, or she was, he was seeing how good a nest they could build together, and she was seeing if he was supportive and, and, you know, (laughs) chirped cheerfully while she was doing some work there. Uh, It's just hard to tell about uh, sparrows, but they... uh, they like to look into cavities, and which uh, makes them uh, not the favorite bird of bluebirders, of which I am one. But they uh, they like to get into things. They're just always doing stuff. Well, we uh, were wondering if they were trying to get out of the cold and or something, if look for shelter. But I mean, they just kept sticking their little head in, and we weren't sure if Grant asked. He said, "Well, do you think they put some bird seed in there and they're trying to get it back out, but they can't because they dropped it and they can't reach down or?" That's. I mean, we were just trying to make up things that we could think they might be doing in there. <laughs> yeah, and they they certainly might have been looking for a uh, port in the storm. I d- I doubt they would have dropped uh, anything mm. as far as food down in there. Okay. But boy, you never know. They never know. And you got a lot of the young ones uh, from this year's uh, grouping or and hatches, and they might not know what they're doing yet either it, it was very that, entertaining watching this big fat bird try to get into this little hole i mean so if anything it was entertainment for us and we had uh, uh we had one and i've heard from three or four people where they've had house sparrows get their head caught in a hole of oh. things oh. and i've got photos of them where they're sticking their head in there and uh, i would guess in these cases they were uh, decorative uh, they weren't really wren houses, but they look like wren houses, mm-hmm. so they're decorative and the hole was too small. Yep. But yet the sparrow had to stick its whole her head in there and then got stuck in it. And uh, we had to kind of grease ours, <laughs> put grease around his head and pull it out. I felt like a plumber out there, <laughs> a, a sparrow plunger to get this guy out of there. But uh, who knows? I, I talked to him the whole time. I said, if you get out of here, just promise me you won't do this again. <laughs> and, it, and then it came out, and it looked like uh, somebody from the movie Grease, a oh. little greaser, had all its feathers. And, oh, dear. But it's, uh, yeah, who knows? That's what's Every day I learn things about nature, or I hear things, see things that I've never heard, seen, or experienced before, and that's what just makes it so wonderful. 
again, I hope everybody is, is well and prospering and just, uh, it's been a, an odd year, but you know, Rod Serling, who was the creator of the Twilight Zone, directed 2020. And he won't be directing 2021, <laughs> Thank so goodness. that uh, will diminish a snowball's chance in hell, I think, uh, considerably. <laughs> I made some predictions. I do some every year. Uh, one year I had something actually come true, but I can't remember what it was. Uh, my predictions for this year is that the Loch Ness Monster will be seen, caught, photographed, and fried up in a nice beer batter by a walleye fisherman from Minnesota. So look for that. I believe there will be a politician running on the platform to raise taxes on the stupid and the stupid only, and he will receive 100% of the votes. There will be a law passed making it illegal for anyone except trained professionals to perform an atomic wedgie. Uh, The Minnesota Vikings will claim they won every game and ask for point recounts on each defeat. As a show of unity, no two members of Congress will agree on anything. A potato chip maker will admit to putting microchips in vaccines. <laughs> a new species will be discovered in a local school's lunch program. Uh, folks, remember, what went around will come around. Tomorrow will be another day, probably last Friday. And remember, Heartland as well, we're driving past. Thanks for listening to me. Thanks for listening to Karen. Man, she does amazing work. Uh, do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen, as always. Are your kids, are they in school or they, it's all home? Do they go to school at no, all? No, they haven't since, since you know, they quit in going to school in the spring and they have not gone back yep. at all by by choice because my especially my youngest is worried about getting something and passing it on to us because we're old parents you oh. know and well, so sure that's nice <laughs> plus uh you know so so no they have not gone back at all but i was just commenting to Dwayne this morning how it probably helps that we're sanitizing everything and that we're wearing masks but i haven't got sore throats or colds or anything like that this year and it's probably because the kids aren't bringing it at home from school too so in in a way i've been uh, healthier in terms of not having all sorts of uh, infections or you know nasal congestion that kind of thing this year so i think you know in a way uh, maybe it's a good wake-up call that we should always try to keep our, our hands clean and our faces covered from other germs and bugs etc and behind your ears. And behind your ears. Yeah, mom always she'd check my hands and then she looked behind my ears and then you know, march right back in there. And so I learned, you know, if you wore a long sleeve shirt, boy, you just kept your hands clean and then behind your ears, and you were good. And yeah, schools are certainly petri dishes of viruses and bacteria and everything. So that's I don't know how teachers stay as healthy as they do maybe they have an immunity after a while but uh, well you know when I worked I I went to work I used to work at KYC TV as you know for many years and then I went to work at the hospital ISJ hospital I'll remember the first six week I I swear I caught everything and I was sick but after that I didn't again I think it was because I did become immune after being in that environment for so long so I think that's uh, there is something to that yeah and I you know, boy, I hope things turn around so kids can go back to school, though. And yes. You know, yeah. Well, I hope That's you can predict. One of my wishes. Did you did you predict the twenty twenty would be the way it was? I hope not, because if so, you know. Twenty twenty one is gonna be. Uh, yeah, I I had predictions for twenty twenty. I think everybody that did any kind of predictions missed it. 
and yeah. at the end of 2019, nobody got 2020 right. It's um, what a what a year. But uh, you know, there were a lot of good things. I say I lost uh, like everybody. I lost a lot of people who uh, mm-hmm. were very important to me. But I'm I'm grateful that I knew them. So there's there's that. Well, Al, it's always great to chat with you, and we hope you have a healthy, happy 2021, and the same for all of our listeners. Yeah, and uh, you too, and it sounds like my cat is working on a hairball here, so oh, I better go. You better yeah, go. Thanks, Al. Get, it, get her off the carpet. Okay, bye-bye. That's what I, that's my only job, is to get her on the hardwood. <laughs> that's what we do, too. Thanks, Al. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, yes, 